Well, good morning, Springbrook. Welcome to those of you as well who are worshiping with us online. It is my honor and my privilege to spend this time with you in worship this morning. If we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Bethany and I'm the worship director here. I want to remind you, if you are worshiping online, that we have online hosts who are standing by all throughout the service who would love to answer any questions you have, would love to spend time in prayer with you. So use that request prayer button anytime throughout the service and they would be delighted to spend that time with you. I also encourage you to participate in the chat. If you have questions or insights from the sermon, please share. Share what the Lord is doing. We know that even while you are at home, we want you to feel connected to this community of faith. Well, I don't know if any of you guys got to see the sunrise this morning, but it was stunning. It was absolutely stunning. And I was getting my two-year-old in his coat And he looks out the window and he goes, flamingos on the sky. And I just thought that was the sweetest thing I had probably ever heard in my life. He saw this beauty and he was so enamored with the colors of the sky. And he saw flamingos on the sky. And oh my word, if that doesn't just call your heart to worship when a young child is able to see the beauty of God's creation. Psalm 19.1 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. And that was absolutely true this morning. I want to invite you to stand. Let's join our voices in worship this morning to our great, great God. Let's declare his praises together.
Psalm 24, verses 7 through 10. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Let's continue in worship, singing to our King. the king of my heart be the mountain where I run the fountain I drink from oh he is my soul let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide the ransom for my life oh he is my soul and you are good good
Let's come before the Lord in prayer together this morning. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Father, we see your glory all around us. We see it in the sky. We see it in one another. We see it in the way that you move, the way that you have moved in the past, the way that you are moving now in the way that we believe you will move in the future. We have seen you move, and we believe you will do it again. I pray for each one in this room, each one worshiping from home. Holy Spirit, will you make your presence known to each one exactly as they need to encounter you today? Bring comfort where it is needed. Bring courage. Bring conviction. Will you soften our hearts to receive what you have for us today? Will you challenge us? Will you grow us? Continue to transform us more and more into the likeness of Jesus. That this world might be able to see the hope that we have in you. Father, each of us is bringing something heavy into this time this morning. We thank you that we don't have to leave our burdens at the door, but that we are allowed, we are invited to bring those things to you and lay them at the foot of the cross. So we take a deep breath and we remember that you are still good even in the midst of what we're facing. And we pray that you would make us attentive to your spirit this morning. Holy Spirit, we are fully reliant upon you to interpret this word. Open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear, and our hearts to receive what you have for us in your word that we might leave here transformed. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our King. Amen. And you may be seated. Amen. Well, good morning. We're so glad that you are with us this morning. My name is uh, Richard. I'm the lead pastor at Springbrook. And if you're watching online with us for the first time, we're glad that you are uh, watching with us. If this is your first time with us here in person, uh, we're glad you're here as well. If you have not had an opportunity to fill out that online connection card, if you're watching online, we'd like to invite you to do that now. 
Uh, there's a place for you to click up on the upper right. You can just click that online connection card. Uh, there's also should be a link in your uh, chat if you're watching there, if you're on Facebook. Just let us know that you're with us this morning. We'll have the opportunity to be able to celebrate that today. And if you are with us in person, uh, you should have a connection card that's in the chair next to you. And so if you just want to take a few moments uh, sometime during the service, you can fill that out. You can drop it in the basket uh, in the back on the way out. I also want to let you know that we've got some uh, exciting news. Uh, effective uh, March 7th, we're going to be moving to our second uh, in-person service at 11 a.m. And so we're excited about that. Our 9 o'clock service is starting to be uh, fuller, and so we want to make sure that people uh, are able to maintain some safe space. And so we're going to be moving to an 11 o'clock in-person service uh, starting uh, March the 7th. And so if you are, want to know more information about that, you can go to our website. Uh, if you are uh, a parent and you've got children, uh, our children's ministry is also going to be starting up at the 11 o'clock service as well. And so you'll be able to uh, register your kids. We're going to have limited space and seating for that. And so if you've got uh, small children, uh, and it's uh, infants through sixth grade, if you want to register them, uh, you can do that online. And then uh, we'll make sure that we have a spot for them as well. So we're going to continue to monitor our in-person services, our attendance as well as with our children's ministry. At uh, some point, we'll evaluate if we need to open up some more classrooms. We'll start to evaluate when we're going to go back to the uh, 9 a.m. service for children's ministry. But right now, um, our 11 o'clock service will be uh, full uh, with uh, in-person and children's ministry. And so if you want uh, more information about that, I encourage you to please uh, visit our website and be sure to register your kids uh, if you want your kids in children's ministry. And so you'll be able to register them as far out as you feel comfortable registering them. Uh, but if you have any questions, please feel free to contact uh, Michelle Howe, our children's ministry director. We've got safety guidelines on there. We've got all the information that you need to know about our 11 o'clock service. Uh, but we're looking forward to celebrating that. I um, also wanted to let you know that today, um, after this service, we have our annual meeting. And so if you are a member of Springbrook or you're a leader, we want to encourage you uh, to participate in that. If you're here with us this morning, you can stick around uh, for the 11 o'clock. Uh, it's going to be at 11 o'clock for our annual meeting. And in addition to some great pre-packaged snacks and safe social distancing, you're going to enjoy some powerful worship. We're going to spend some time uh, worshiping together. We've got some uh, highlights uh, for you for our finances. We've got some great stories that we want to share with you about God's faithfulness this past year and where we're trusting him as we step out into this new year together. And then we're going to have a special time just to do some vision casting. And so it's going to be a fantastic time. It's going to be at 11 o'clock. We will be meeting in person. Uh, if you are more comfortable, you can watch it online. It'll be streamed on springbrook.live as well. And so if you're accustomed to watching that 11 a.m. service online, uh, you'll be able to do that. There'll be a separate link uh, for you to do that. But our annual meeting is going to be right here, 11 o'clock, and so we hope that you can join us for that. If you have not had an opportunity to download our Springbrook app, uh, all of our registration for all of our events, all the information relative to our ministry, uh, you can find right from your uh, mobile device or from your uh, whatever you're using for a tablet. But if you haven't downloaded that app yet, I'd encourage you to do that. It's a great way to stay connected to everything that's happening at Springbrook. And if you have any questions for us, uh, please let us know. Uh, we're so glad that you are with us today as we finish up our series, The Presence of God. It's been a great series just to experience and, and celebrate um, God's presence in our lives. Uh, today is going to be the last uh, part of that series. Next week, we're kicking off a new series. Uh, we're going to be looking at the law to the cross. We're going to be looking at the book of Leviticus. But we're so glad that you're with us today. Pastor Matt's got a special message for you. So he's going to come out now. I hope you enjoy your message, and thanks for being with us today. Thank you. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. So excited to see you all. Um, 
You know, since the last time I saw you all, um, Jess and I have some big news. Um, we're having a second baby. Uh, yeah, we're excited. And um, as you can see, Lucy is training. Um, we got her that baby for Christmas, and um, whatever that baby is made out of is what they should make the space shuttle out of, because that baby has slammed into every corner of our house, um, and she always carries it by a leg. It's really cute, um, but she's not going to hold the new baby when it comes, so without a lot of supervision. So, Well, this morning, we are finishing up our series on the presence of God. Um, and we've, we've looked at the presence of God, what it is, what it means for us, how, how it guides us, and, and how we use it together. It's, it's a communal thing, the presence of God. And, and not only is it a communal thing, it, it's something that, that when we are in it, it shows how we treat each other in our community. And so today we're going to talk about one last aspect of the presence of God, because there's an enemy out there that desires so much for us to never experience and stay in the presence of God. And so today we're going to talk about that enemy, and we're going to talk about what it looks like to stand firm, to stand strong against that enemy. If you've got a Bible, I'd encourage you to open it up to Ephesians chapter 6. Um, we're going to be in Ephesians six ten through 20 today. And since I asked you, so I'll wait a moment before I start reading, but we're going to read in a moment. Um, the letter of Ephesians was written by Paul while he was in prison, and he wrote this letter to um, a church or churches, probably in Ephesus, to send to them to encourage them in their faith. And Tim preached out of it, um, Ephesians 2, earlier in this series, and I'm going to wrap us up in Ephesians 6. Um, and, and so we're, we're looking at the armor of God today. And, and as we look at the armor of God today, I, I want to encourage all of you um, it might not be what you think. And I'm really excited to talk about it. And so we're going to jump in, but first let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you that you are so good. We thank you that we get to dwell in your presence. We thank you that the picture of Genesis 1 and 2 that fell apart at the fall, that because of your son, because of his death and his resurrection and his invitation, we can be a part of your kingdom. We can be in your presence we can be those who are your image bearers in this world that, that carry out your will. And we thank you for that great privilege. We thank you for the, the relationship we get to have with you. And I pray as we talk today that, that we would see the stakes of staying in your presence and standing firm in you. I pray that we would be strong and that our strength would come from the right source. And, and Lord, I, I pray ultimately that you would open our ears to hear and our eyes to see what your word is saying. I pray that these would be your words and not mine. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Ephesians 6.10 begins, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. This is the beginning of the unit talking about the armor of God. And so today we're going to try and answer a, a really, really couple simple questions. What does it look like for me to be strong in the Lord against evil? How do I take action in the Lord's might to withstand the devil? And the, the super short answer is, I, I need to put on the full armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So it seems really simple and straightforward. Um, but then we got to think about what is the armor of God. And some of you might have it memorized. I think in Awana they need to memorize it, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I kind of have it memorized after preparing for this sermon, but we're going to go through it right now. I'm going to keep reading 
Um, and as I read, I'm going to show you all the different pieces of armor as they pop up. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness to give or the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And it's at this point that the pieces of armor end. Now, I hope you all notice something. When you realize the armor of God does not have pants. <laughs> now this makes sense. If you're listening to our podcast, I used extreme discipline to not mention I'm wearing shorts until this moment. Um, I'm wearing shorts for a reason. And that reason is simple. The armor of God does not have pants. Um, and, and I want to tell you, I want to tell you, uh, the first time I heard this was actually at this church. It was a young adult making a joke um, apparently, this is a meme. Um, I, I took a picture of Lucy and added it to the meme sphere, meme, internet, whatever. But, um, but it's a, a funny thing to think about. The armor of God does not have pants. But then when you think just a little bit harder, it's true. And if the armor of God doesn't have pants, there's a really important implication. The armor of God leaves an individual exposed to the attacks of the evil one. And now we go from fun and funny to, ooh, Matt, you might be speaking heresy up here. I'm not, I promise. Um, but, but what I want to tell you is that the armor of God not having pants brings with it a lot of implications. The first implication is when you wear the armor, you are not fully protected. And this is challenging. I know this is challenging. And, and you want to say, well, I've got my shield, and, and so I'm, I'm kind of protected, but, but the evil one, the devil the schemer. He doesn't just fire arrows from one side. He and his legions of demons are going to fire at you from more than one place. The armor of God, it leaves you exposed. And we can't ignore that. Now you might say, well, Matt, I know this isn't true because when I wear the armor of God, I'm a knight in shining armor. To which I say, Paul, who wrote this letter, had never fathomed the idea of a knight in shining armor in around 60 A.D., it was not a thing. It was not a type of warfare. What Paul knew as he sat in prison was that the men who held him in that prison were dressed in armor each day. The Roman soldiers of that time were a very specific type of armor. And do you know what? That armor they wore did not have pants. At some point, you guys are going to wonder, did he really just do this just for this moment? The answer is yes. The answer is yes, because throughout this sermon... I want you, anytime you think, oh, he shouldn't have worn shorts, to think, oh, that's what I wear in spiritual warfare every day. My legs are exposed. 
The armor of God leaves us exposed, and it makes us feel kind of awkward, but there's a reason for it. In the warfare of Paul's day, in the warfare that he counted on this church to know about, in the type of soldier that they saw, there was no such thing as King Arthur. There was no such thing as medieval knights. And if you say, well, let me tell you, Matt, we've advanced in our armor and in our warfare, and we've advanced in all of this, what I will say is that Paul would not have used the imagery of spiritual armor in the medieval times. He would have found another imagery, I promise you, because his imagery is about warfare, but it's about something far bigger than warfare. If you go on Google and you do a Google search for the armor of God, and then you have like an hour to kill, and you're like, I'm going to just look for a minute at images of the armor of God, and then I'm going to get to work on my sermon, and then a thousand images later, what I want to tell you is you will find all these images of individuals in the full armor of God, and it's, they're dressed like knights, And it's so wrong. It's so wrong. And let me tell you, there's implications of this. When we we understand we're exposed, the next thing we need to recognize is that the devil delights in individuals who seek to fight his armies in one-on-one combat. If you wake up each morning, you put on the armor of God, and you go out on your own to fight against the evil one and his schemes, Satan is sitting on the other side of the battlefield saying, well, that was easy. That guy's a chump. When, when armies go to battle, you, d- you don't just have one guy charge alone, right? Good, good, thank you. But, but the, 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 the point of this is that the devil delights when we attack alone. Why? This is an overhead picture of the armor of God. Um, because the devil can attack us from multiple sides at once. Spiritual warfare does not play by very nice rules. I, the, the evil one is not like, well, you know... I'm not going to attack them. They're off on their own. No, the devil revels in the idea that people are going to fight against him alone because we are not equipped to do it alone. When you wear the armor of God, you are left exposed. The devil delights in individuals who seek to fight his armies in one-on-one combat. And there's one other implication. If we decide that I'm not going to fight alone, the other thing we have to recognize is that if you decide you do not need your armor— you expose those around you as well. You see, the type of armor that Paul is thinking about involves, it's a shield wall. And so you would have had in your army, you would have had people marching in a line together, and they would have had their shields, and they would have marched lockstep, all of those soldiers. And those soldiers were good at it. Because you see, if you were a Roman and you wanted to be a soldier, you signed up at a certain age and you served for like 20 years and when you started, you went to like a boot camp training, and, and you went there with a whole bunch of other men that for the entire term of your enlistment, these men were going to be on your left and right. And their lives were in your hands because if you wore your shield and they wore their shields, hopefully anytime arrows fired down in battle, you would all be able to protect each other. The front line, shields in front. The second line, shields a little overhead and making a wall over them. What's sad is there's no Google image tied to the armor of God with a shield wall. I don't know why. But that's the type of armor that we need to be thinking about. And so when the enemy sees a fully armored army, they fire their arrows and they have nothing to hit except shields. But as soon as a few people in the army say, you know what, I'm good, I don't need my armor. Well, what happens is when they get knocked down, now those around them are exposed as well. 
In this type of warfare, the army would seek to find a weak spot in that shield, and if they could find it, they could break through, and then they could attack the army because now the army's been divided. And this is the imagery Paul is thinking about when he's talking about the armor of God. He's, he's not thinking, put this armor on and go fight alone. He's thinking this is a communal effort. And so we're going to dig into this right now, but I want to make sure you hear this before we move on, because we're going to restart with this all in mind. The armor of God leaves an individual exposed to the attacks of the evil one. The devil delights in individuals who seek to fight his armies in one-on-one combat. And if you decide you do not need your armor, you expose those around you as well. Now, before I go any further, some of you might ask, why don't we talk about it this way? To which I will answer, why don't we talk about it this way? I don't know. Four years ago, I first came around to this because of some silly meme one of the young adults at our church said, and I started chewing on it, and then I kept thinking, why is this not how we think about the armor of God? And there's a simple reason, it's pride. We think we go out to battle on our own, and more than that, we think when we fail to prepare for battle, we think it only affects us. Right? We, if, I, if I have a bad day, I don't want to think it could affect those on my left and right. We also want to think that God prepares us for everything on our own. When the Bible, the whole New Testament is full of pictures of a body where Jesus is the head, where we're a part of his body, where we're a part of a community together that needs to rely on each other. But it's no fun to rely on each other. No one likes group projects in school except the people who don't do work, right? Right? Good. Some of you know what I'm talking about. So we're going to start over, and we're going to go back to that first question. What does it look like for me to be strong in the Lord against evil? How do I take action in the Lord's might to withstand the devil? Well, the first thing we need to do is we need to talk in Ephesians 6.10 about the word be strong. It's one word in the Greek, and that word is what's a second plural. It's like a second person, so said to you, it's a plural, said to y'all, and it's an imperative, so it's a command. So it's finally, y'all need to be strong. And, and you may wonder, well, why didn't they translate it this way? Well, read it. I mean, come on. Y'all need to be strong. No one's going to write it that way right? I don't think so, unless they were from like the deep south when they translated this. And I don't think they weren't. I'm going to prove that later. Um, so it's, y'all need to be strong. And if we think that way, the next thing we need to do is we need to re-ask our first question. What does it look like for us all to be strong in the Lord against evil? Because it's not about me or I. It's about us all. How do we all take action in the Lord's might to withstand the devil? Now, I'm almost done with the English portion, portion of our time, But there's another thing. Be strong is not just a second-person plural imperative. It's also passive. And what that means is when he says, y'all need to be strong, he actually means y'all need to be strengthened. You are not the source of strength. It's not y'all need to use your strength. It's y'all need a source of strength in the Lord and in the strength of his might. If you put on the armor of God in your own strength and think that your strength is going to sustain it, you're in trouble. So, this is our question. I'm almost done with these, I know. Um, What does it look like for us all to be strengthened in the Lord against evil? How are we all strengthened in the Lord's might to withstand the devil? That is the question. And I'm going to give you six points in how to answer it. The first one is, when I wear the armor of God, I recognize 
Wielding the armor is not about my strength. If we think we wield the armor in our own strength, we begin the battle with a source of strength that cannot win. It's that simple. And I just realized I messed up. When we wear the armor of God, we recognize wielding the armor is not about our strength. We have to get rid of the imagery of me, myself, and I from the armor of God. Because if that's where we live, we miss out on the passage that Paul is trying to draw our attention to. It goes on, and you're going to see a whole bunch of y'all need tos in this passage, and it's because every time it's translated without you all need to, I'm I'm going to add that in, but y'all need to put on the whole armor of God that y'all may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle, and that word wrestle is a super weird translation, just as easily it could be translated struggle. And so the ESV authors, for some reason, translate it wrestle, which sounds like a one-on-one thing. You wouldn't wrestle while holding a shield and a sword, right? It sounds like a nonsense thing to try and do. I don't know. It seems like you'd be at a disadvantage. But for some reason, they translate it that way. But the Greek word could just as easily mean struggle. And the type of warfare we're talking about is a type of warfare where you would struggle on a line. And so we're going to change that word to what seems more appropriate. Other translations put it that way. For we do not struggle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now I want to draw to your attention. There are a whole bunch of enemies listed. The rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers, the spiritual forces of evil. Earlier, we saw the schemes of the devil. We see the evil one mentioned in this passage. But what I want to tell you is when you start thinking about this, you need to recognize one thing as we talk about the enemy in question. We do not struggle against flesh and blood. We do not struggle against flesh and blood. This is a picture of spiritual warfare. And if the image of the enemy in your mind is a human, the image of the enemy in your mind is someone who is made in the image of God who, just like you, at one point in time was not a believer. Every believer who wields the armor of God without exception used to stand on the wrong side of the battle lines. Every single believer. That means if you are here today and you are a Christian, it means at one point you were not. And when you were not, whether wittingly or unwittingly, intentionally or not, you were on the wrong side of the battle. Paul, in Ephesians 2, earlier in this same book, says, And y'all were dead in the trespasses and sins in which y'all once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Y'all were once on the other side, under the control of the enemies, the rulers, the authorities, the spiritual forces that are at work against the body of believers who are the church. Every single human at one time was on the other side of the battle lines. If you do not believe that, I do not believe you are a Christian. There's no way around it, because this is what Paul says here. And he doesn't leave room for this. Students, we've been in Colossians, and in Colossians you get the same picture. We were dead, Christ made us alive. When we were dead, whether we meant to or not, we weren't serving the right side. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. That's the picture if you're a believer putting on the armor of God. You were dead, you were an enemy combatant, 
and then Jesus died, rose again, God, through his grace, invited you into his kingdom. You accepted that role. You were given armor, and now you stand on the other side of the battle line. Every believer who wields the armor of God, without exception, used to stand on the wrong side of the battle lines. And there's an important implication to this that we can't pass up while we're here. I'm going to get really nerdy for a minute. There's a band called the Oh Hellos. I could talk about them for hours. Um, They have this album called Dear Wormwood, and the album is C.S. Lewis fan fiction. That's their own words. They wrote an album imagining someone, like the person that was behind the story of the screw tape letters, which is letters from a demon uncle to a to like his nephew, trying to explain to him, here's how we tempt humans. And they, they wrote an album on the other side of this, using this as part of their framework. And the idea on the album is that there is a person, and the whole album is the story of this person. And this person, throughout their life, is, is abused, and they're in abusive relationships where, where other people are constantly attacking them. And there's a specific person who is against them, and it's a human that is against them. And in the second to last song on the album, they finally come to the truth of who they are in Christ. They recognize what the gospel means, and they look at that person and say, I know who you are, but I know who I am in Christ. And because I know who I am in Christ, you no longer have power over me. And the last song is this joyous, triumphant moment. But the song is not framed around running away and being free. The song is framed around, I'm free. But now let me talk to my abuser. And here's how the words go. I will look for you, abuser, as the sun rises high, when the dry bones dance with the timbrel and lyre. There's a wind alive in the valley. It will fill your lungs if you'll have it. The, the gospel message is that when we are on the right battle lines, when we stand there, when we wear the armor, when we are equipped for battle, every person of flesh and blood that we encounter no matter what they have done for us or done to us, no matter how much of an enemy of God they are in our eyes, our desire should be what this song says. We should be inviting them in. Hey, I know you hate everything about what I believe, but do you want to stand beside me? Because I tell you, it's great to feel alive. It's great to be alive in Christ. That's the picture of what the gospel should be. It should not be overcoming our earthly enemies because when we do that, The armor, we're not looking at the right enemies. When our battle lines are against flesh and blood, when they're against people who strongly say Christians are idiots, when they're they're atheists, when they're people who work to just like apologists against Christianity, when there's there's people of different political ideologies than what you or I believe is true, when when there are people on, on just a far spectrum against what we believe, they are not the true enemy at all. And as Christians, if we believe they are the enemy, we have started at a point where the gospel is hindered. Because the the armor is for use against our true enemy. It is for spiritual warfare. And we cannot miss that. I hear Christians right now talking about the enemies in this nation. And I just think, man, if they all converted, would they still be enemies? While they are alive, while they breathe... They may be dead in their sins, but our hope is that they would be alive in Christ just like us. Because if that's not our hope, we've missed the whole point of the gospel. When we wear the armor of God, we recognize wielding the armor is not about our strength. And we recognize the armor is for use against our true enemy.
Therefore, y'all need to take up the whole armor of God that y'all may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Now, the next thing we need to recognize when we wear the armor of God is that standing firm is proof we wear the armor well. If you've ever heard the story of the Spartans, it's like the movie 300. How, How do you never lose a battle? You never lose ground. If you always hold the ground you have, you're never losing. And if you can take a little step forward, you're winning. Wearing the armor of God is about not losing ground. The imagery over and over is stand, stand, withstand, stand. Over and over we're going to see that. And sometimes we think wearing the armor, and this is like the the modern Western view, wearing the armor is, I'm going to get on my horse wearing the armor, and I'm going to charge out to battle alone, and I'm going to slay that dragon. Right? That's, that's how a lot of the imagery is. I, if I had time, I would have put a whole bunch of Google images up here and made fun of them. Some of the Armor of God pictures don't even have a sword, so the guy like forgot his Bible. We don't have time for it, though. I don't even have time to mention it right now. But, but the, the, the point is, is, is that the pictures that we have are these pictures of glory. If you watch like, oh man, the movie The Patriot with Mel Gibson, um, tearjerker, America, all that. But there's like a point in the movie and like the, the, the oh, I don't want to spoil it, but America won. Um, in, the, in the last battle, there's this scene where Mel Gibson charges alone holding a flag and he like stabs someone and he like fights and starts winning the battle and it's like this epic moment. And the thing is, is that's not really an effective way to win a battle unless you're in movie world. An effective way to win a battle is to have discipline and hold your line and never lose ground. Because if you're able to do that, the enemy will never take away what you've done. And every time you take that tiny step forward as a group, you're gaining ground. Y'all need to stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which y'all can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Now, a quick note, flaming darts is the weirdest translation in the world. Um, I, I do not understand the ESV authors here. I don't mean to pick on them. The ESV is the translation we preach out of at Springbrook. I like the ESV, but for this passage, I was confused um, because the word could mean arrows and elsewhere absolutely only means arrows, but they translated it as darts. It made me think that the ESV authors between wrestling and darts were writing this in a pub. And I'm only half joking. It's really confusing to me. This does not mean don't trust your Bible. It means that sometimes translators have to make choices. Sometimes they make weird choices. It's why we need more than one translation. Okay, flaming arrows of the evil one. And y'all need to take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. When we wear the armor of God, we recognize protection depends on ourselves and others. If I don't wear the armor, of course, I'm exposed. But if I wear the armor and the people on my left and right aren't wearing the armor, that's a problem too, right? Because if the enemy is going to look and say, all right, if we get that guy, we're going to break our way in. Wearing the armor is about protecting more than ourselves. It's about protecting ourselves and those around us. And it's the same. We need them to have that same mindset so that we're all protected by each other, even as we're protecting ourselves. Now, I want to say something real quick. Um, I just went through all the pieces of armor, and I didn't stop and explain what we, each one was. 
Um, there's a reason for that. I know a lot of times when sermons on the armor of God get preached, they focus on, all right, well, the helmet of salvation, well, that's salvation. The breastplate of righteousness, well, that's right. They're very self-explanatory in my mind. Um, I'm going to explain how we put them on in a moment, but, but what I want to tell you is that Paul does not spend a whole lot of time focusing on what each piece of armor means. Instead, he's talking about a mindset of what it looks like for us to wear the armor together. Paul is not concerned, do you know what each piece of armor specifically represents? He's more about, you need to recognize the warfare that you're in. That's what this passage is about. Protection depends on ourselves and others. And, and finally, in the final two verses of this passage, Ephesians six nineteen and 20, Paul's talking about you need to put on the armor to protect each other, and he adds himself in the mix, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And there's this amazing thing happening right now. It is so amazing because if this is the picture of warfare, if this is the church or churches that Paul is writing to in Ephesus, Paul is saying, as you guys put the armor on, I need you to understand I'm right next to you. The armor is not I put on the armor and then Lucy, Jess, and I are protected and Jess puts it on and we're protected. And it's, it's not that literal, Yes, there's a literal, literal element to those closest to me are going to be more protected if I wear the armor. But the picture that Paul gives at the end of this passage, because he's still on the same train of thought, is he's saying, when you wear the armor well, you're protecting me, just like when I wear the armor well, I'm helping to protect you. We are interconnected as the body of Christ. You, for those of you watching at home, you maybe are feeling like, I have not been in this building in a year. It's almost been a year for some people. And, and what I want to tell you is if you are at home, when you put on the armor, you are just as interlocked in the shield wall as each and every person here. It may not feel that way, but it's true. And when you feel like you're struggling alone, if you're putting on the armor and if you're counting on our community, you should know that we wear the armor too. We wear it together. The armor, putting on the armor, when we do it, we recognize that putting on the armor is for those near and far. I have two friends that I texted them this morning and just said, can you pray for me? I'm preaching. And they both responded. And those, those two men are men that I went to seminary with, and we pray over each other. We wear the armor for each other, even though one's in Italy, the other's in Argentina. We're very far away. Um, and at the same time, when we wear the armor together, we're protecting each other. I'm in a small group with three young men at our church that every day when I get done with my devotion, I send a text to them and I say, hey guys, I'm wearing the armor. And each of them, when they get done with their devotion for the day, they say the same thing. And, and we've been talking about wearing our armor very intentionally. Even though we live, I mean, we live way closer than Argentina and Italy, but we live like one's in Carpentersville, one's in Lake of the Hills, one's in Crystal Lake, I'm in Huntley. We're, we're spread out all over, but when we wear the armor, we wear that armor for each other. And so what's the implication there? Well, the implication there is that you, if you are a believer, you're on that front line and I'm right next to you. You need to put the armor on, I need to put the armor on, we need to put the armor on. Our pastors, our, our elders, our staff, our small group leaders all, all wear the armor, but each and every member of our body needs to wear the armor. That's how we protect each other. 
Now, I, I want to pause for a moment. I, I do want to say, some of you might be thinking, Matt, you haven't told us how to put the armor on. Well, that, that first point, wielding the armor is not about our strength. The, putting the armor on, in, in my mind, when you become a believer, you're given the armor of God. It's that simple. You don't like level up as a Christian. You don't start off with the belt of truth, and then after you go to church a certain number of times, you get the breastplate of righteousness. And then after you read your Bible a certain amount of times, you get the sword of the Spirit. You, that's, not how, that's not how the armor works. It's standard issued. If you are a believer, you have this armor. And of course, this armor is figurative if you're like, why? Well, I, I haven't got it. Maybe someone grabbed it from our front door. I don't have a ring camera. No, I, I joke, but, but what I want to make sure is clear here, I want to make sure that you recognize that you have this armor. For me, each morning when I wake up, I spend time in the Word intentionally when I first wake up. And what I do is I pray, Lord, I, I pray you'd fill me with your strength because it's your strength Lord, that, that empowers me. It's not by my own might that I can wear this armor. And I pray, Lord, I, I pray to the Lord that he'd protect me, that he'd help me stand in his righteousness. I, I pray out aspects of the armor of God each day. And I also pray for those guys in my small group and for staff and elders and leaders at our church. I pray for our body in general. I pray for many of you specifically. But the, the point is, is I put on the armor and I pray that others are putting on that armor as well. Putting on the armor is not some magical thing. It's recognizing each day that in order to get through the day well, we need to do it in the Lord's strength and not our own. It's that simple. And you may say, well, that sounds simple to you because you're a pastor. But I want to tell you one last thing. We are all equipped with the same armor. We are all equipped with the same armor. I am a pastor here. Me, Rich, Tim, and Joseph, as pastors, we are held to a higher standard in judgment before the Lord. There are multiple places in Scripture that talk about that. Because we are teaching, because we are preaching, because we are up where we are, we are going to be held to a higher standard. But we are not given a different set of armor. The better I learn to use my armor, the better I learn to study the Word, the better I learn to do all these different things, I don't get a bigger sword. I don't get better armor. I, I still, I'm exposed. Bill does not get better armor. James does not get better armor. Ravi does not get better armor. If, if you do not know, uh, Ravi Zacharias, um, an apologist, uh, he passed away earlier this year. And uh, it came out after he passed away that there were some major sin issues. And what's even more sad is that it kind of came out before he passed away. About three or four years ago. And what's sad, it was during the kind of height of the Me Too movement. And I'm not going to talk about what Ravi did. I believe he did all of it. Um, especially because his organization has now said we had an independent investigation, what he's been accused of he did, and more. But what I want to say is that when, when first information came out that Ravi maybe did something, the response of almost everyone I can think of was, and myself included, was, no, that's not true. Ravi wouldn't do that. Ravi, Ravi's like a knight. No way. No way. And, and what, you, what you find out, what you find out when you, if you read up on it, and, and you maybe don't need to. I, I read up on it. I've listened to his podcast for years. I've, I've, I've loved a lot of the things he's written. Jess and I got to meet him once. It was really cool. We actually interviewed him for something while we were at Moody. But, but the point is, is at the end of all of that, at the end of all of that, it turned out that Ravi and the organization he was a part of believed he had special armor. And believed that he one-on-one -on -one could fight the evil one. 
And I don't know when it started. I haven't looked that far into it. But, but what I know is that there was a sin issue where the evil one got a foothold and just dug in. And over and over, Ravi lost ground. And over and over, his organization just let it happen. For Whether they knew it or not, just, there, there weren't a bunch of people saying, we wear this armor together. They believed that he wore stronger armor. And it's, it's sad and it's heartbreaking. In church, I bring this up, not to drag him through the mud. I think it needs to be said that what he did was heinous. I, I think that needs to be said from the pulpit because of how influential he is in the church. And it's heartbreaking. But what I want to tell you is that you need to put the armor on for me, for Rich, for Tim, for Joseph. If you do not put the armor on, you're exposing your pastors. You need to think that way, just like I need to think I put it on for the other pastors as much as I put it on for all of you. Implication here that's kind of hard. Um, If you showed up to church today waiting for me to help you put your armor on, why? I can't put your armor on for you. The point of the church is not to put your armor on for you. The point of your small group is not to put your armor on for you. That's a choice you make every day. What the church is for, what our small groups are for, what our different ministries are for, is to help you figure out how to use the armor, the standard issue armor that you've been given. If I, if I see you holding the sword upside down by the blade, using it like a club, I can help you use it more efficiently. Like flip it over and it might, you know... Thank you. I thought that one would go over better, but that's okay. Um, but but the, the, the point is, is that the job of the church is to help you figure out the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the sword of the spirit, the shield of faith, the, the shoes of the gospel, and the helmet of salvation. The goal of the church is to help you use that armor well. And if at the end of your life you've used it really well, you're still going to have the same armor you started with. It's just going to be well taken care of. And, and so I, I want to challenge you as we close. A, a, a conviction is, did you show up this morning thinking, I got to get to church so I can get re-centered on God? Because if you did, you came in exposed. And, and it's uncomfortable, but I, my, my guy's small group, as we've been digging into this the last few weeks, I've been telling them, if you show up to our meeting time together, exposed, like, how is that good? Because we want to show up together ready to go. We want to show up talking about the sword and shield, not thinking, I left part of that at home. And again, it's figurative. You can't really leave it at home, right? But, but the, the point is, is that we need to recognize that responsibility we have to put it on in our relationships at the church. Because that's how we protect each other. Now, if you're out there and you're like, well, I am not a Christian. I do not know what this means for me. This is kind of weird. We're talking about warfare, we're talking about the devil, we're, we're talking about all these things. What I want to tell you is that the picture Paul gives here and the picture he gives throughout the book of Ephesians is a picture that, that Jesus, who is the head of the church, the head of the body, he's the king above all, he sits on the throne, he invites us to be part of his kingdom. And it is so radical to think about this. It's so radical to think about if you wear the armor of God, you used to be an enemy combatant, And then you recognize, I want to follow that king. And that king said, come on over. Not just come on over. That king said, come on over. We'll put you on the front lines. And you may say, well, the front lines are a place of, I'd like to be on the back lines. Um, Right? You may say that. But the front lines are a place of honor where you go out and you fight alongside other believers. 
The beauty of the body is that we're invited to do this together. If you are out there and you are not a believer, what I will encourage you in is that when Jesus died for our sins, when he rose again, when he ascended to heaven, before he did that, he invited those who were believers to go to those who weren't believers and to make disciples, to make armor bearers. And and he said, "I, I want you all to join me. And we're invited to be a part of that kingdom, a kingdom of life. And it's such a beautiful picture. And so if you're not a believer, I want to encourage you to take that step. And if you're a believer here, I want to remind you that being a believer means we serve a king who is our general, and he is a good king. He's a good general. He is the head of the body, and he invites us to work together to go out and carry out his mission, to stand, to withstand, and to take ground together. That's the purpose of the church, and we can't do it alone. If we try and do it alone, we're going to fall. It, it might seem unfortunate that Paul was not alive during medieval times, so we could all wear full armor. But what we have instead is a picture of a community that rely on each other, grow together, and move forward together. That's what we're called to. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you that you're so good. Lord, we thank you that you give us all of the tools we need and that that you are the source of strength that we need in order to stand firm for you. We thank you that you do not give us less than we need. We thank you that you've given us the body so that even though on our own we can feel frail and weak when we turn to you and when we turn to your community, we can stand strong together. Lord, I pray for each person here. I pray for those that know you that they would recognize the awesome responsibility that we have. I pray that we would not minimize, we would not say, well, I don't need to wear it today, it only affects me. But we would recognize that when we don't put on your armor, it affects far more than ourselves. We pray we would live this way, that we would become armored, grizzled veterans. We pray that each and every one of us would take on this mantle, that, that we would follow you well, that we would help those who are left and right when they're struggling, but that, that we would work together to remain protected in your strength. I pray, Lord, that we would put on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the, the helmet of salvation, the gospel shoes, that we would have your shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit, that we'd be praying for each other, that we'd be lifting each other up, that we would be recognizing that we protect each other in your strength. We thank you that through your spirit we're able to do all of this. We thank you that you've invited us not just to be slaves in your kingdom, but to be, to be the front lines, to be those who carry honor. And we, we pray that we would go out and that we would do this together in our communities and that our church would be our training camp. We thank you for all you've done for us and we thank you that we get to call you King and Lord and Savior. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, as we close today, um, I want to remind you, um, we've got our annual meeting today. So if if you're in person and you're planning on sticking around for that, stick around for that. Um, If you're online, it'll be on springbrook.live at 11. Um, And we're excited to celebrate what God's been doing at our church together. Um, And right now I want to leave you um, with a prayer from Ephesians 3. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, 
according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace. Oh no.